the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m., it's your Thursday edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts coming to you on another edition where we take a look at issues that impact your life and your world. How are you today? Good to have you on board we got a lot to talk about tonight. We're going to try to uh, pick up on a couple of topics that we didn't have appropriate time left over on the show last night to address. And uh, so, yeah, a good time will be had by all. Later on, Brian Johnston, really, truly, we promise, will be with us. We're going to talk a bit about the recent Texas heartbeat bill. As you know, the United States Supreme Court has basically said, yep, nope, we're not going to touch this one. And it's raising interesting questions, not only in terms of what the uh, pro-choice side intends to do in trying to reverse this Texas law, but the question raised, is this the beginning of the end? Meaning following over 40 years of abortion on demand in America, could this finally be the beginning of the end. We'll talk about it tonight. Brian Johnston with the National Right to Life Committee will join us. I want to start this evening, though, before we dive in to meet our first guest on the program with a little bit of a news story for you. Um, This happened today, so you might not have seen this if you've been at work all day and in a bit of a news blackout. But uh, as you know, we have a recall election coming to California. The deadline, the voting deadline will be, we used to say the voting day, now it's the voting deadline, will be this coming uh, Tuesday the 14th, in which Californians are being asked two very simple questions. Number one, should Gavin Newsom lose his job? Should he be recalled? And number two, if the answer to number one is yes, who should replace him? 47 candidates all told that are on the roster. And uh, if you've already, as I have, uh, voted and cast your ballot, you probably looked at that large list and scratched your head and said, who are half of these people? And why is the other half running? What makes them think they're qualified to take over leadership of one of the most important states in the union, a state that were we to be our own country, and some have suggested it wouldn't be a bad idea for a variety of reasons, we'd be the fifth largest economy in the world. Pretty significant. And, you know, I've always argued whether you're running for governor, president, mayor, that uh, there's got to be a little, little level of ego involved there to suggest that you think you're qualified enough to take on the job, particularly whether you're talking about running for president or running, <clears throat> pardon me, for governor 
of a state like California. But all that said, the field is there, the names are there, and I guess anybody who qualifies can get their name added to the ballot, and they can tell their kids, yeah, I ran for governor once, didn't get elected, didn't get voted for, but I ran for governor. So with all that in mind, the race has been heating up, as you know, and uh, in recent weeks we have seen a very clear frontrunner emerge. While not officially endorsed by the Republican Party, and I still have questions in my own mind as to why that is, would seem to me if Republicans have any hope of a, a minimum, maybe a repeat of what happened with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Gray Davis 20 years ago, at least they would say, hey, we're going to pick a candidate that we believe is the best qualified and the best likely to be able to pull this off, and let's get behind him. But the California GOP has uh, declined to endorse anyone, but there is now a clear front runner, and he happens to be a colleague, Larry Elder. Larry Elder, as you may know, has been a talk show host here in the San Francisco Bay Area and across the nation for many, many years now, and um, heard locally on our sister station. Well, Larry Elder has decided to toss the proverbial hat in the ring and run for governor. And I think, you know, largely for those that are tired of the status quo, his announcement of his candidacy has been well received. And again, with no official endorsement by the California GOP, he has become the frontrunner. You would think in that position that there would be afforded, and I'm not saying it ought to be Secret Service level protection, but you would think in a state like California, with uh, so many people that are not locked up but ought to be running around free, that there would be some sort of protective detail afforded to some of the better-known potential candidates here. Well, apparently that is not the case. And um, it turns out that Larry Elder had a bit of a confrontation today um, after, while visiting a homeless encampment in Venice, Venice Beach um, and following an appearance uh, down there, uh, a woman dressed with a face mask that looked like a gorilla. You can draw conclusions from that, as I already have. Threw eggs at Larry Elder. Fortunately, her aim wasn't very good. Although, let me hasten to add that for one of Larry Elder's assistants, um, her, her, her aim was a bit better. They got into a bit of a confrontation. He chided her for attempting to egg Mr. Elder, and her response was to slap the man in the face. And then as he began to withdraw from the situation, some other protesters showed up and hit the man in the back of the head. I am pleased to report that in spite of this unfortunate altercation, uh, Larry Elder came out unscathed, if not perhaps a, a, a little bit uh, a jostled. As I say, the staffer that tried to intervene took the, the worst of it, getting slapped in the face and punched in the back of the head. And uh, they quickly spirited Larry off to a waiting SUV, and he was uh, taken out of harm's way. I find it interesting that while a number of news sources are covering this, both statewide and nationally, that there's not been more to do about the apparent very heavy racial overtones of the woman in the gorilla mask. Can you imagine what the response might have been had this been, name any Democrat candidate under any normal election that happened to be a minority, 
and a white woman showed up wearing a gorilla mask with the clear intent to do harm. I mean, you know, unless she was going to check the temperature in Venice Beach and attempt to uh, fry an egg on the street or prepare, uh, you know, a cake uh, roadside, clearly being armed with eggs on a bicycle for a quick arrival and quick getaway, wearing a gorilla mask, and the candidate happens to be African-American. Well, that certainly smacks of pretty serious racial overtones, though sadly very little of the local media or national media is picking up on that angle of the story. And uh, again, it were the shoe on the other foot, and this had been done by a card-carrying member of the GOP against a Democrat, I would imagine the response would be very different. I would suspect that uh, Rachel Maddow and folks over at MSNBC would be uh, devoting copious hours of discussion to an unfortunate event like this. So again, the good news is Larry Elder uh, came out of the situation unscathed, and he's off to the next campaign stop. It is regretful that we live in a society that is getting nastier and nastier. If um, people are trying to protect themselves by wearing a face mask, folks get upset at that. A lot of distortions that we've seen leading to altercations over absolute nothingness. And um, it's clearly becoming a less and less polite society. And... You know, listen, we're all entitled to our own opinions, and uh, there's nothing wrong if we have good, healthy, spirited discussion, debate. Um, But when the debate turns to downright consternation that leads to, uh, you know, either clearly racist actions, as in this case, or racist actions that have um, potential violent overtones or outright violent overtones, you've got to wonder... Is polite society just completely gone, that we, we can't agree to disagree about anything, that if somebody does something we don't like, we immediately, you know, call for their head to be taken off or uh, to somehow pay a severe penalty? I'm not talking about somebody that commits a crime or an outright egregious act. I'm just talking about differences of opinion. You know, should the California state budget uh, be a a trillion dollars or two trillion dollars? Well, differing opinions on both sides as to how much money we ought to spend. But do we have to take it to fisticuffs in the process of that debate? It's just shameful that we've headed in this direction. But here we find ourselves, nevertheless, good news is that uh, Larry Elder came out of the situation unscathed and he shall press on. And uh, we will wait for the outcome of the... 14th of September, and I hope that once the decision is made, whatever that outcome looks like, that we will not grovel, we will not, as some have already attempted to do, make immediate claims that it's all rigged. Um, I, I think the sudden fallback position that anytime something doesn't go our way, that we have to suggest that there only can be nefarious details. I heard it said on a national news show the other day that the only way that Gavin Newsom could keep his job as if there had been manipulation of the vote. In a state like California, dominated by Democrats, and you would find it difficult to believe that a Democrat would stay in office, this is not 1995, and this is certainly not Gray Davis. So just something to be thinking about 
And uh, I think maybe we need to also kind of check ourselves to make sure that we are doing our best to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And we wish uh, Larry Elder Godspeed, and uh, the people will speak on the 14th, and we'll go from there. All right, enough said about that. 515 from KFAX. Let's find out what's going on in the world of traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Your name is Isabel. She's a beautiful three-month-old baby. I really like Real Options because the people treat you so kindly. Everybody here is so nice, and it feels so personal. They not only care about you from start to finish, but there's no judgment. Having Candy walk me through such a horrible situation and then see it turn out so good, just being able to bring her in here, you know, at two months old and go, I, I made it, I'm okay. It was amazing. She she most definitely is a real options baby. We so often approach the issue of abortion in America today based on legal arguments, statistics, things of this sort. But it it's real people. It's real human lives here. And while certainly those of us that are decidedly pro-life, uh, you know, want to do all we can to take a stand, to, uh, to educate, uh, and to encourage women to not abort their child, um, there's a lot more to it. And having the sense of support in a circumstance that, as you heard from Christine there just a moment ago, can be horrible for a lot of reasons, some known, others not known. And then to discover a place that is safe, where there is, as she suggested, no judgment, and takes a personal direct interest in you as a human being. Now, that's the hallmark of real ministry. Joining me is Jenna Cerrone, who is a patient services manager with the Oakland and Union City branches of Real Options. And also we have Margie Brandt, patient services director. Welcome to both of you. And uh, Margie, let me start first with you. Uh, We heard a moment ago Christine there share a little bit about her own circumstances, which she described as being a horrible situation. And and no Mm -hmm. doubt in the midst of an unplanned pregnancy, there's so much going on and and it varies from individual to individual. But, But give us a sense in terms of someone like Christine, who I'm sure is, is, is emblematic of many of the folks that come through the doors of Real Options. What does it look like when, when a woman comes and says, you know, I've got this situation on my hands here, I'm contemplating abortion? How do you respond to that? Well, thank you, Craig. Um, this patient would walk into an extremely clean, organized, and comprehensive medical clinic. She'd be greeted by someone who's genuinely interested in how we can help her. We would offer her a pregnancy options consultation, a pregnancy test, and an ultrasound to confirm the viability of her pregnancy, which means detecting a fetal heartbeat. For you see, one in four women do not have a viable pregnancy, and if she's going to miscarry, there'd be no need for her to consider an induced abortion. But she would find our compassionate, non-judgmental staff who truly want to understand her situation, help her make a decision based on educational and scientific facts, and not based on her emotions. And our staff is trained no matter what the patient decides, parenting, adoption, or abortion, 
was there to offer support and aftercare for any decision that she would make. And that support, so critically important. Uh, yeah. Jenna, oftentimes women come in, they are frightened. They are not sure of what their future is going to look like. They are often perhaps dealing with many conflicting ideas. I mean, let's face it, there there is a, a large uh, contingency out there of people that would encourage a woman to simply go and get the abortion, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. And, and sadly, many of them, of course, uh, make that recommendation because there's money at stake. This is big business. The abortion business is big business. Don't anybody, uh, you know, mistake that. But this is a very personal decision and one that cannot be entered into lightly. So when you have somebody come in like Christine, how does that conversation go? I mean, there's always concern about, well, you know, uh, folks that are not necessarily in favor of abortion, they're going to be, you know, immediately judgmental about how did this happen? How did you dare allow this to occur? Yes. So we review the paperwork she filled out, which includes her demographics. This helps us to get to know her as an individual and what she's facing in life currently that could actually impact her pregnancy decision-making process. And as a trained optimal health coach, we are, um, we are there to listen and ask open-ended questions to see what circumstances have impacted her life. We also share that we are here for support and we'll be following up with her. And we want to make sure that she knows that we are part of her support system with whatever decisions she does end up making. Now, I'm going to dig down a little bit deeper on that. When you say we'll be there to support her, no matter what her decision is. Now, clearly, uh, from our perspective, from my perspective, choosing life is is the, the ideal option. But if a woman chooses not to, is she able to come back in and still find support and help and counseling? Yes. We have a branch uh, that has two different programs. So we have Hope uh, Ministries, which is a Bible study Um, that's held on Zoom, Um, and that's for post-abortion and post-miscarriage, all reproductive loss. That is an open and um, just non-judgmental zone that a woman and family members and or friends that have been impacted by abortion can attend, Uh, in addition to a uh, weekend retreat called Rachel's Vineyard. So we are here to follow up with them. We always call to check in on seeing um, the outcome of pregnancy and seeing how they are doing and just being a listening ear for them. Now, conversely, and on the more positive side, if if a woman decides, yes, indeed, she wants to carry her child to term, we talk about the notion of standing alongside, providing support, not just prenatal care and, and through that process to bringing the child to delivery. But then after that, give us an understanding as to when you say walk alongside them, Jenna, what exactly do you mean by that? Yeah, so we follow up with our patients every two months up until baby is born. And um, we offer practical support up until baby is about two years of age. Um, Our goal is that our patients feel loved and supported through our ongoing contact and conversation. Uh, We offer prenatal care, childbirth and parenting classes, maternity, baby clothes, and ongoing support services. And we also offer educational resources and referrals for their specific county. Some of these items are low-cost car seats, breastfeeding support, housing, maternity homes, and mental health resources which um, all of these resources and donations, this just leads me to share how blessed we are to have such amazing supporters uh, 
that donate to our clinics so we can offer our patients the high quality care that we have. And you know, I love that because so often for many of these women that are in that crisis situation and they're, they're in a pressure cooker when they make that decision, and one of the big fears I'm sure, uh, Marky, is, well, you know, if I carry this child to term, who's going to stand with me? My fam- family's not behind this. They're not in favor of this. Mm-hmm. I'm getting pressure from a boyfriend that's saying, no, you just need to abort it. I hear all the messages from organizations like Planned Parenthood that says, hey, part with a little bit of money, we'll fix the problem. I'm really terrified of the idea of, well, carrying the child to term is one thing, but then what? And it sounds as if, as as, uh, Jenna is suggesting, that this really is a personal issue and addressing a woman and her individual needs in a very personal way and taking the time to listen and then providing that long-term support, whatever that might look like, is really a big part of what Real Options offers. Yes, we go far beyond uh, just the physical need of the pregnancy and prenatal need and all of that. We offer the emotional, mental, and spiritual support that an individual so often needs, and they find so many times that the staff here at Real Options become their friends and their family, and they reach out to us in that regard and call our our clinic and say, we just need to come in and talk and have found a wonderful resource in this place called Real Options. And you certainly see that in the experience that uh, Christine shared a moment ago. Um, Finally, Jenna made reference, uh, Margie, to the sense of teamwork, that there are not only volunteers at Real Options, of course, the medical staff there, but many of the partners that donate Goods, services, baby cribs, formula, uh, certainly help provide some of the the financial resources to keep the doors open. I I get the sense that uh, this really is, in every sense of the term, a partnership. And I'm wondering, for those eavesdropping on our conversation right now, people here and are touched by this and say, wow, this is the kind of ministry organization I can Mm -hmm. get behind, because it's not just lip service. It's real, true, rubber-meets-the-road ministry. How can they get involved in helping you impact women like Christine? Well, there's a lot of different ways, and I'm just going to highlight three of them real quickly for you, Craig. One, every year we have an opportunity to share our successes and educate the community about real options. And this year we're celebrating 40 years of serving the Bay Area at our Ignite Life Benefit. We have two options to attend this. One is a virtual event or in person at Calvary Chapel in San Jose on Saturday, November 6, 2021. And all the people need to do is go to friendsofrealoptions.net to register. You're going to find out so many things about Real Options. Two, again, they can go to friendsofrealoptions.net and click on Get Involved, and there they'll find out other ways to get involved with us whether it's a volunteer, a prayer team, donate items, all the things that you just talked about. And three, they can contact. We have five clinics around the Bay Area. They can contact any clinic near them and request a tour. And our managers would be so happy to welcome them and show them what's being done around the Bay Area. That's been our prayer. Can we impact the Bay Area? And, Craig, 
Real Options is doing it. Absolutely. And of course, though, as we mentioned, that's that's not something that's a going alone. Uh, this is a partnership, uh-huh. and that means uh, all of us need to be involved prayerfully, financially, in terms of volunteerism, all of it. If you want to find out more, get involved. Uh, also be involved in the event that uh, Mar- Margie just mentioned a moment ago. Um, then we just certainly encourage you to check out the web at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. And if you or a woman you know is facing an unplanned pregnancy and much like Christine is in, as she characterized it, a horrible situation, is feeling very alone and very scared, then I want to encourage you to reach out to Real Options online at realoptions.net. That's realoptions.net. Our thanks to Jenny Cerrone and to Margie Brandt, both patient services directors with Real Options. 532 from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Uh, We, of course, have seen the issue of uh, pro-life matters very much in the news over the last couple of weeks, uh, in large part because of the law passed by the state of Texas and uh, largely upheld by the United States Supreme Court. They've they've not said that we're going to poke our nose into this matter and reverse anything. Some, as they look at the Texas Heartbeat Act and some of the advancements that have happened in states like Texas over recent uh, years, would suggest that this may, maybe, be suggesting the beginning of the end of abortion in America. Let's get some insights. There's a lot to unpack here. Joining me is the author of the best-selling book, Roe and Doe, The Evil Twins, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. He is the host of Life Matters, heard Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. on KFAX, and is also the Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee, Brian Johnston. Brian, it's always great to have you with us. Uh, Boy, it's been very encouraging over recent weeks uh, to see what has transpired here. And uh, the fact at this point that the Supreme Court has said, yeah, we're not, we're not going to butt into this. I mean, I guess there's always right. the chance of problems created by the lower courts. But I have to wonder, right. just taking this based on face value and your understanding of it, uh, what do we make of all of this? And, and is it, as well, some have suggested, potentially the beginning of the end of abortion on demand in America? Well, Craig, you actually framed it rather well. The Supreme Court essentially said, we're not going to get into this. And in its document, it was Judge Alito that it was appealed to because that's in the 6th, Texas in the 6th District, and he's the judge that deals with that. And then he brought it on bonk to the whole court. And you have to remember what the high court is. It's the court of final resort. And so what happened when when... Governor Abbott signed SB 8, and we'll talk about that. You're right. There's so much to unpack here. But quickly, when he signed the bill, the pro boards immediately said, let's take the Supreme Court right now. They have to stop this. We can't let this happen. And all the Supreme Court did was say, I'm sorry. That's, that's not what we do. This hasn't been viewed by any other court. It hasn't been viewed by any Texas court, much less appealed in an appellate level. The Supreme Court is there to resolve what other courts cannot resolve. And so it's a very square rebuke that they gave these folks and said, we're not going to do this. 
we're not going to strike this. It's not our place. It has to come up to us. So it may indeed get to the high court after a few years. But you're also touching on something I believe is very important about. I like this bill personally. (laughs) And this is why. It doesn't tell the state that they have to punish abortionists. And that's been part of our problems, to be perfectly honest. When you have a criminal statute, you have to have a criminal prosecution. And that means whether it be the attorney general or on a county level, we have county prosecutors, district attorneys. They have what's known as prosecutorial discretion. So you can have a crime committed in your county. We can say, let's say, an illegal abortion, but any crime. And it's up to the county prosecutor to decide whether or not they're going to move forward. They actually don't have to prosecute every crime. People don't realize that. And what we have found with abortion-related bills, a lot of times the prosecutors, they won't prosecute. And so this particular bill, what I like about it, is it gives someone who's been harmed by this. So imagine, if you will, we know that every one of these children does have a biological father. And we know this, that quite a few biological fathers really want their children. If an abortion takes place, that man has suffered a harm. And he can, under, it's called SB-8 in Texas, under SB-8, he can take civil remedies. He can sue the abortionist. You killed my baby. Now, the reason that's good is that now it's no longer political. Now it's not up to a county district attorney or, as we saw, you know, in in Pennsylvania. Gosnell got away with what he did in Pennsylvania because the governor refused to investigate, even though the governor was asked. And the, the prosecutorial people decided to let it not be prosecuted. So you can have laws that aren't prosecuted for political purposes, but if there's civil remedies, now if you have suffered a harm, you personally can file a lawsuit. It's a tortious act. Any harm that's done to you, you have the right to go to court in civil law. And that's very, very powerful. So I'm looking forward, and the court did say this when they said, look, why are you throwing this at the Supreme Court? This has to go through the appeals process. And they were specifically said, we're not ruling on any of the very unusual elements of this bill. So they did not rule. And that's very important. Coincidentally, and you're hearing this in the major news, the President of the United States has the Justice Department. The President of the United States is going to stop this right now. A lot of this is hyperbole and getting a misrepresentation of what's happening in order to gin up their troops. The other thing they're doing, we have to stack the Supreme Court. So they're using this, this sky is falling mentality to gin up what really isn't true about this case. This case has not been ruled on. It simply was not struck by the Supreme Court. And I I dare, I don't like making predictions, but I dare to predict you're going to see a lower court strike it. And then they're going to celebrate. See, we told you we're stopping those radical anti-choice people. But... This isn't going to be upheld all the way through the system. You're going to see challenges, and they're on the horizon. So essentially, then, what you're suggesting is that the court looked at this and said, you know, you've kind of jumped the line here. And we're not we're not going to we're not going to take this on until you go through the proper channels in the proper order. 
It may ultimately, yep. and I, I think you're correct about this, it may ultimately wind up before the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, mm-hmm. But in the meanwhile, some of the hysteria that we're hearing, Planned Parenthood's, you know, wanting to, uh, you know, call out all the troops and, and so forth and so on, as, as if the sky is falling. And, you know, very realistically, they're, they're looking at their cash cow, uh, you know, coming to an end, sadly, with, uh, mm-hmm. uh, with all of this. So, you know, it, it's, it's understandable as to why the panic and the overreaction. Uh, at the same token, uh, pro-life folks need to be a bit uh, measured in realizing, you know, this 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 fight. We're in this for the long haul. We knew That's that there were right. going to be in, in in the midst of fighting the war. There are going to be some battles that are going to be long, hard fought, and some will will come out on top, and others not always. And while this is good news in a sense for the moment, this fight isn't over with. And I and I'm particularly curious about your comment, Brian, pertaining to the notion of court stacking. We know that this sort of trial balloon was floated by Joe Biden uh, some months ago. But, you know, my my recollection in history is that the last time a Democrat president tried this, and, and by the way, significantly more popular and had greater support than the current Democrat mm-hmm. president, uh, that not only didn't go over well, Members of his own party, and I'm speaking, of course, about FDR, members of his own party said, wait a minute now. You know what? There's a lot of ways to get work done, but this is not going to be one of them. And trying to turn the Supreme Court into a circus of 15 or 20 people is just not going to work. Number one, trying to get any decision to come out of that court with that many people having to weigh in. My goodness, you you would grind things to a complete halt beyond the fact that it's very obvious what you're attempting to do. Yes, exactly right. It is, it's funny, we could go into arcane stuff, but it was actually a Judge Roberts during that time that um, there was, that court was 5-4, to four, and the 5-4 uh, the uh, makeup was 5 conservative and 4 liberal, and basically the uh, the uh, Judge Roberts decided to modify his conservative position in order to take the pressure off the court for court stacking. And it was called at the time, a stitch in time saves nine, nine members of the court. And so we're looking at a Justice Roberts. He happens to be the chief justice. And I'm not justifying what he does. I'm not saying I'm reading his mind. But it's very clear he sees his job as protecting the Supreme Court. And we might wonder, well, why does he vote liberal sometimes? I ask, why does he vote liberal sometimes? That may be what's in the back of his mind. He's not actually, it's, it's tragic. He is being political. But he doesn't want an excuse for stacking the court. And again, coincidentally, in the late 40s, it was Justice Roberts, another Justice Roberts did the same thing, switched from the five to the other four. And I'm trying to remember, they were called the four horsemen of the apocalypse and the five, uh, oh, what were they? But at any rate, it was, it was a Supreme Court historical turn that we're looking at again. This desire to politicize the court, and it does. Sadly, Justice Roberts and some of his decisions, it appears political. Yeah, and, and sadly, Brian, in a case like this, we need to be as as politically uh, neutral, as nonpartisan as possible, because this these are not, while while they might be political appointees, 
And certainly every member of the court is entitled to be a member of a, or a participant in any political party that they choose, but the court should not be making decisions based on body politic, but rather on the constitutionality or lack thereof of any piece of legislation that is brought to them from any level, federal or state. And so it's, it's, it's sad when it heads in that direction, and you can see a level of panic when there is a suggestion made by both the, the Biden administration and echoed recently by the head of Planned Parenthood that, well, we just need to get more justices on the court, as if to suggest we pack the court to, to, to tip things in our direction based purely on a partisan vote. Just not only unappropriate, but extremely dangerous Precedent. Brian Johnston's with us, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. Much more to unpack on this topic, including having Brian help us better understand some aspects here that talk about the the opportunity for private individuals to sue and to hold those that violate the law accountable. We'll talk a bit about that and more. By the way, be sure to uh, tune in Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. for Life Matters, hosted by Brian Johnson. You can check it out right here at KFAX and more information available to you directly online at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Much more to come. Stay with us. Right now, we're going to get you a look at traffic. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, on this very topic, the Justice Department has now jumped in suing Texas over the new law. Attorney General Merrick Garland says the law, in his opinion, is, quote unquote, clearly unconstitutional. SB 8 bans nearly all abortions in the state after six weeks of pregnancy. Before many women even know they are pregnant and months before a pregnancy is viable. After a careful assessment of the facts and the law, the Justice Department has filed a lawsuit against the state of Texas. If it prevails, it may become a model for action in other areas, by other states, and with respect to other constitutional rights and judicial precedents. Now, it's interesting, uh, Brian Johnston, the broad stroke there by which the AG suggests that this could be impacting other states, other laws. You know, I I know that they're trying to paint a gloom and doom, domino theory kind of uh, picture here. But what what is your response when you hear uh, the AG suggesting that, well, we just need to sue the state of Texas to stop this from happening? Oh, well, that's basically what you're seeing is a fear that it is clear that the longer this stays in effect, there will be some record of it saving lives. And in particular, should there be a father? And again, these are issues that the media never talks about. When is the last time CNN, ABC, PBS, LA Times, San Francisco Chronicle ever talked about fathers' rights? Why is it that only mothers get to kill their children? So there's, there's some type of inequity there. But it's never thought about. And that's the irony of the media. They actually, and you've heard it sometimes, there's someone here, they get to control what the people think. And so they want to cut this off really quick. Because as it starts occurring to the public that, yeah, why doesn't the... You mean, you mean my daughter got pregnant and that's my grandchild? You killed my grandchild that this has great implications, not just for fathers, the grandparents, others that do have standing under the law in other situations. 
but not with abortion. No, no, no. And in terms of it being a woman's choice, we've talked about this, but the media has already done this to Roe, because the media literally has misrepresented Roe v. Wade. As, as you know, Craig, they distort what Roe v. Wade did, and you ask the normal person, what does Roe v. Wade do? Some people say, well, it's, it's the first trimester. It, it, it allows the first trimester, but after that it limits. Oh, no, no. It's the first and second trimester. That's, no, it's for the hard cases. I don't know. It just allows abortion. It allows choice. But if you actually read the decision, it specifically says it's not up to the woman. And it's in Doe versus Bolton. It's crystal clear. Only the abortionist will decide if an abortion is going to take place or not. And, of course, the, yeah. other, the utter irony there is that if it was a circumstance where the decision that was being made uh, was um, uh, on parity, uh, then, I mean, it, it, it doesn't by any means reduce the severity of the act. But at least you could say, well, it, it, it's on par. But it isn't because <laughs> at the end of the day, the abortion provider got a lot of big money in this business. Uh, we've we've talked about this many times down through the years. This is hundreds of millions of dollars. And if the abortion doctor says, hey, 10 minutes worth of work, I make a quick 750 bucks, uh, why would you ever have a motivation for a woman to come into your clinic and say, no, I don't think this is a good idea? It's going to hurt you in the pocketbook. Many of these doctors are doing it simply because it's the big, cheap, easy cash cow. So to suggest then, as you're, as you're saying, that in the, the uh, Doe versus Bolton, which is the, the companion decision handed down by the court on the same day but never gets any daylight that essentially says it really is a, the doctor's decision. Well, wait a minute now. There, there, there's no parity here because the doctor has an unfair advantage. He makes money. She makes money if they perform the abortion. So, of course, they're going to make a recommendation that way. That's right. And they're, they feel utterly dependent. And that's you hear that for both those who have regretted their abortions. Many women that have had abortions say that they felt manipulated by circumstances, sometimes the boyfriend, sometimes others, they felt cornered into it. But even pro-choice women, if you listen to what they say, they say, I had to do it. This is my decision. I am the one to decide. And there is a compelling emotional feeling that this is their decision. But in fact, if you study decisions, you know what I think of, and and again, it, it can't parallel, we're talking about human life here, but there are certain people who, who feel a need to, to have drugs. And if we decide, well, you know, we have to give them that choice. And if we made a law that said, well, we want Walter White to be free to create the finest crack, blue crack, available. And the reason we want that is there's some people that want it, and it's the best mess there. It's the best crack available and there's people who want it it's their choice we're giving them the choice but that isn't what the law would do the law would authorize the creating and the dispensing of crack but calling it choice because well somebody's going to go and buy it so therefore it's a choice decision it's all about choice no it isn't you just you just legalize crack somebody manufacturing crack and in abortion by the way there's no accountability for the abortionist. Under Doe versus Bolton, no one can sue. So 
It's as if you did that for crack manufacturers, Walter White, the famous Breaking Bad story, and then framed it, well, we're doing it for, for people's choice. They want only the best crack. We don't want them getting bad crack. So this is yeah. a choice issue. Yeah. That's intellectually dishonest, and it's marketing a very evil thing in the name of your freedom. But most women actually don't really like abortion. They feel it's, it's the last thing they want to do, ironically. And as you know, the you just had an excellent guest on. There are so many other options whether it's keeping the child, whether it's raising the child in the family and or, or adopting out, there are so many other options. And sadly, the worst option is what's being marketed to our nation, through the dishonest media and the dishonest abortion industry. Now, as you know, a political party that has given itself entirely to unlimited abortion. Well, and this is the reason why this is this is so terribly unfair, because in the end, the, the information is, is limited or manipulated, and a lot of it, sadly, is all done, you know, ostensibly, kind of the PR end of it is all being done in the name of religious, I mean, in, in, in the name of freedom and constitutional liberty. Uh, but in reality, so much of it's being done for just one thing, money. Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee. More information on the web at CaliforniaProLife.org, CaliforniaProLife.org. The broadcast, Life Matters, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m., right here on AM 1100 KFAX. 601 from KFAX, an update on traffic. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.